Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. Welcome back to Basketball History 101. This is Rick Loiza, and it's been a long time, but with me in studio is my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. How's it going, Jacob? Good. How are you, Dad? Good. Doing very, very well. So we're, we're here in studio together because we have just completed one year's worth of podcasts. A weekly podcast, 52 episodes, plus a couple of bonus. So we're getting, to start, getting ready to start year two. That's right. This is very exciting. We're celebrating the one-year anniversary of Basketball History 101. Very happy to continue into a into a second year. Yeah. And in order to kick off year two, in a sense, we're going back to the beginning. Episode one was about how Dr. James Naismith invented the game of basketball, which is a very appropriate topic for episode one. But here in episode 53, we're going to talk more about his life, his childhood, kind of his teenage years and early adult years to kind of learn more about the man that invented this amazing game. That's right. So, But you think that not just the creation of the game, but Naismith's life in its entirety is worth an entire episode? I believe so. I mean, the man had so much input into the game, not only inventing the game, but he was one of the earliest coaches of the game and trying to develop some of the early concepts. I mean, there were definitely other better coaches uh, than, than, he, than he was, but... He did help to develop some of the early principles of basketball, uh, and it only made sense because he's the guy who made it up. So we're going to talk about his childhood and his teenage years then. So can you give us a little preview of what's going to go on there? Sure, just a little taste because you will hear the details in the episode, but we talk about his early years growing up in Canada, how he lost many members of his family at a very early age and Uh how that affected him, and then growing up and becoming the kind of man that he wanted to be. And it's it's just a very interesting story, a very interesting man. And, uh, and it's, it's just a life worth, worth, worth looking at in terms of basketball history. So I'm assuming the way the story goes, we end up finding out how he got into the position that he was when he invented the game, as, we've, as we learned back all the way a year ago in episode one. Exactly. So we're going to learn kind of what happened in his life that led him to be in Springfield, Massachusetts at that time when, the, when he came up with the idea for the game. Because it really is a situation where it was the right person in the right place at the right time. So... We're going to look at what led to what led to that. Well, that's fascinating. Let's get into the episode. All right, let's get started. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza. This is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. And today, we bring you a story about James Naismith, the man who invented basketball. We talked about him way back in episode one, about how he invented the game. But today, we are going to spend more time on the man himself and how he came to be in position to invent this amazing game that we all love. Hopefully I will show you how so many of his experiences led up to creating a game where a player has to throw a ball into a hoop 10 feet off the floor. 
He was born on November 6, 1861 in Almonte, Ontario, Canada. He was raised in a strict, hard-working Christian home. His parents were Scottish immigrants who raised their family on a farm in East Ontario. He prayed daily and enjoyed life in the country. However, tragedy struck him and his family when he was still quite young. He was very close to his grandparents and always looked forward to spending time with them at their home, which was not far from the Naismith farm. But his grandfather died when Naismith was just eight years old. It was terribly hard on him. Not long after that, the family's sawmill burned to the ground, putting serious pressure on their family's income. But tragedy would not stop there. His own father, John Naismith, caught typhoid fever in the fall of 1870. Typhoid was ravaging their town as many would catch it and die. In order to protect Naismith and his siblings, older sister Annie and younger brother Robbie, their mother sent them away to stay at their uncle William's house until the typhoid had passed. As they rode off on a horse-drawn sleigh, they turned back to see their mother waving to them from the doorway. It was the last time any of the kids saw their mother or father alive. Naismith's mother stayed at home with their father to care for him and tried to help him recover, but the typhoid was just too much for him and John Naismith passed away. In the process of caring for her husband, their mother Margaret also caught typhoid and she died just a few days after her husband. She died on November 6th, which was Naismith's ninth birthday. It also happened to be his sister Annie's 12th birthday. In a matter of just a few days, the Naismith kids were orphaned. All three kids were sent to live with their grandmother. Young Naismith took the death of his mother particularly hard. He would often go to talk to her in a grain bin that his mother used to play in when she was a child. Sitting in that bin made him feel closer to her because it was where she played when she was a child. And so talking to her up in heaven brought him a lot of comfort. But that situation of living with their grandmother only lasted for two years because then their grandmother died. The kids were then shipped off to live with their uncle Peter, a single man. Their uncle may have had good intentions, but he really had no idea what he was doing. He was very busy working long hours as a lumberjack, so he just left the kids to raise themselves. Annie took on the role of mother and took care of the household tasks. James took on many of the farm duties, working the fields and chopping wood. By the age of 15, Naismith had completely dropped out of school and went to work with his uncle as a lumberjack. He was always drawn to strenuous physical labor, but he was a kid working alongside grown men. Now, there is some discrepancy on this next part of the story. In my research, I found conflicting stories and honestly, I'm not sure which one is true. So I'll just give you both stories. In one story, he began to frequent the local bar along with the other lumberjacks. One day, while drinking some whiskey, he was confronted by a man who recognized him as the son of Margaret Naismith. This man told Naismith that his mother would be ashamed to see him in a bar and drinking no less. Naismith knew that this man was right, so he made a promise to his mother in heaven that he would never touch another drop of alcohol again. In the alternate version of the story, Naismith was never tempted to drink. But one time, the other lumberjacks tried to put some serious pressure on him to join them at the local bar. They just could not stand working next to someone who did not have a drink on occasion. In one particular tense situation, Naismith threatened to kill all of them if they did not leave him alone. He stuck to his Presbyterian upbringing and never touched alcohol in his life. Again, I'm not sure which story is actually true because I found both of them in my research. 
But what they both have in common is that at a relatively young age, Naismith was committed to a life of clean living. And that commitment led him to the conclusion that he wanted to do more than just be a lumberjack for the rest of his life. He wanted something more and the only way to achieve his goals was to go back and get his education. He returned to high school and picked up where he left off. He resumed his high school work at the age of 20 and needed two years to complete his coursework. Due to the amount of time that he spent working as a lumberjack, he was now four years behind in completing his high school work. He was 22 years old when he graduated high school, but he was very determined. As he looked at options for college, he discovered McGill University, which is still today one of the most prestigious universities in Canada. But what drew Naismith to this school was they were one of the first universities in North America to offer a degree in physical education. This was perfect for Naismith. With his passion for strenuous physical labor and for sports, this made total sense to him. So he entered school as a 23-year-old freshman in the fall of 1883. His uncle Peter helped pay his tuition in exchange for some summer help on the farm, which Naismith was happy to provide. It was not long before Naismith discovered a number of sports. He played football, lacrosse, soccer, wrestled, played rugby, and track. He was good at all of them. He began winning awards for his athletic achievements. It seemed that Naismith played on every team the school offered. He just could not get enough of athletics. At that point, his life began to come into focus. At first, he was interested in going into medicine, but decided that that was not for him. So his thoughts turned to the ministry. His Christian upbringing was still strong and his faith was very active. He began to notice that his teammates would often clean up their language when he was around. He realized that he was having a positive influence on his teammates and decided that he definitely wanted to go into the ministry, but also wanted to stay involved with athletics in some way. So he prayed that there would be a way that he could impact the lives of young men and somehow do it through sports. So he graduated from McGill in 1887 and enrolled in Presbyterian College to earn his master's degree in divinity, which is the study of God. It was while he was studying for his seminary degree that he had a conversation with a mentor, D.A. Budge, who happened to be the secretary of the local branch of the Young Men's Christian Association, or YMCA. That conversation set his immediate path. Upon graduating with his master's degree, he took a job in America in 1889 working for the International YMCA Training School in Springfield, Massachusetts. He was hired as a physical education instructor. Not only could he have an influence as a Christian minister, but he would be deeply involved with sports. He would play and coach football, rugby, baseball, soccer, and just about any other sport that they had equipment for. Not only did this job combine his two passions, but it was also part of a larger movement in the 1880s and 1890s called Muscular Christianity. Basically, the movement said that being a Christian man did not mean that you had to be physically meek and mild. You could be strong and athletic and still be a good Christian. At the time, most churches looked down on athletics and physical education in general as a waste of time. With this movement in mind, he threw himself completely into his new job. He was coaching a bunch of different sports and having a positive impact on a bunch of young men who needed guidance in their lives. After a couple of years with the YMCA, his boss came calling and tasked Naismith with coming up with a new game that could be played indoors during the cold winter months. It is here where I tell the story of how he invented basketball way back in episode one. So if you want the full story, go ahead and check out that episode. 
but I'll give you the basics here. He needed to create a game that was physical but non-contact. It had to have a minimum amount of equipment and tackling would not be allowed. After two weeks of experimentation and failures, he finally had his epiphany. The next morning, he was nailing two peach baskets to each end of the gym and using a soccer ball, he took his students through the basics of this new game, which was later called basketball. As we all know, Naismith's new game was a huge hit and spread around the world extremely quickly for a brand new game. It was easy to understand and required minimal equipment. In other words, it had a very low barrier to entry. You only needed one ball, two baskets, and no other equipment. That is one of the reasons that the game spread so quickly. It did not require a bunch of game-specific equipment like American football or lacrosse. Basically, it was cheap to play, and that is part of its genius. Now, this is a good place for me to take a break, and then I'll be right back with the rest of the story of James Naismith. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome back to the show, and let us continue with the story of James Naismith. He had just invented the game of basketball, and it was spreading quickly through North America. It was a bigger hit than anyone could have imagined. Naismith later did earn his medical degree that he had been thinking about way back when he was a younger man, but he never had a regular medical practice. In 1898, he made his last move and took a position at the University of Kansas, where he was the school's chaplain and one-man physical education department. He was the founder of the basketball program at Kansas. While at Kansas, he coached a player named Fogg Allen, who was the best player that he would coach during his time there at Kansas. Fogg Allen eventually replaced Naismith as the new head basketball coach at Kansas. Fogg Allen would then later coach Dean Smith, who would eventually coach Michael Jordan. Naismith also mentored Adolph Rupp, who later coached the University of Kentucky to four national championships. He also mentored a young student by the name of John McClendon, who was not allowed to play at Kansas because he was black. But McClendon would become the first black coach to win a national championship when he led Tennessee State University to the NAIA championship in 1957. McClendon would also later coach the Denver Nuggets when they were still in the ABA. Naismith also lived long enough to see his game played at the Olympics in 1936. He was on hand and watched nearly every game played in Berlin at that Olympic tournament. He even threw the ball up for a ceremonial tip-off to open the tournament. While there, they had a small ceremony honoring the man who invented this new Olympic sport. It was one of the highlights of his entire career. One of the things that makes basketball different from other sports is that it did not develop from earlier games. Almost every other team sport traces its roots to earlier games with many, many people having an influence on the development of that game. American football, international football, rugby, lacrosse, golf, baseball, Gaelic football, Australian football, hockey, and other team sports like that all trace their roots back to earlier games or more primitive versions of their games. And no one can really take credit for creating any of those sports because there were simply too many people involved in their development. But with basketball, we can trace it back very clearly. It was invented by one person on a single day. He had the idea in December of 1891, and the very next day he had his students try it out. I cannot think of any other sport that was created in the same way 
by a single person. But the fact that we can trace the beginning of the game to one person does not make the sport better, it just makes it different. Of course, it is my favorite sport, and I absolutely love it, which is why I do this show. But I do not only watch basketball on television. I watch all kinds of sports. I will watch just about anything that's competitive. But back to Naismith. He passed away on November 28, 1939, at the age of 78 in Lawrence, Kansas. His legacy lives on today, and he was part of the very first group of inductees into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame when it announced its very first class in 1959. I mean, after all, if they're going to name the Hall of Fame after you, it's pretty much assumed you're going to be part of that first group. One thing that is kind of sad is that they were not able to preserve the gym where the game was first invented. That building was torn down decades ago. The location is now a McDonald's in downtown Springfield, Massachusetts. So, that's it for today. Join us next week as we share the story of the Kentucky Colonels, one of the most successful teams in the ABA, but sadly, they were excluded from the merger with the NBA. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Also, go ahead and give us a rating and review, and that will help others to find the podcast more easily. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There, you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starter on today's games. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. And don't forget to check out sportshistorynetwork.com. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman aka the football history dude and i wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the sports history network our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear and if you didn't know it already we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics in fact here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network this is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.